Welcome to Knitter Square. I'm your host, Leanne Hunt, and I hope you'll pick up your knitting and spend the next little while with me as we share that warm, fuzzy feeling that comes when we knit and crochet for charity. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Knitter Square podcast. This is episode 10, and it's great to have you here again. It's a freezing day here in Johannesburg as I record this. Um, I was in the barn this morning and it was great to see that uh, everybody was really busy getting uh, blankets out. Uh, Wandi and Temba had actually gone on a distribution this morning to take blankets to a creche in an informal settlement. They sent photographs already um, and it was reported, uh, well Wandi reported to us that the lady Mavis who runs that creche previously was running it in a um, in a building with a, a compacted mud floor and it was freezing cold uh, in that uh, structure but that now um, thanks to some sponsorship and some help from a, a, an organization she's been able to upgrade it quite significantly and Wandi said it was lovely because the children were a little bit more sheltered from the cold weather and handing out the blankets and beanies on such a chilly day brought a lot of smiles to their faces. Bongi was with me at the barn and she said that she opened parcels from the United States and Canada and Australia and England. So um, I know that a lot of varied parcels came in. For myself, I was helping to um, size crocheted squares that had come in from various parcels. Um, Athalie and Estelle were helping me because when they opened parcels that contained crocheted squares, they'd send them my way. And I actually brought home two blanket packs of crocheted squares to sew together. Unfortunately, my hands have been getting a little sore with the um, the constant crocheting and knitting of squares. So I decided to take a break and do some sewing up. And the crocheted blankets are a little easier to do because uh, they have um, big holes and big spaces for me to, to follow where the, the needle needs to go into. So um, I can see a little bit and I can do it uh, and it's nice to be able to contribute in that way. And of course I can crochet around the edges of the blankets if I get matching yarn from my wool shop. And um, then I can finish them off nicely. Today's interview is with Georgie Purton. She's from the Angels Care Centre in Howick in KZN. If you've been following Facebook or the forum, you may have seen the pictures that she sent. Georgie is a very good uh, subject for an interview because she's a marketer. And um, you'll hear from her presentation. She's very comfortable in, in uh, answering questions. She has a lot of facts at her fingertips. And so I um, picked her brain to tell us a lot about the informal settlement, how the um, the people live, what they have to contend with, and how the um, NPO that she works for is uh, helping to relieve some of their difficulties. I think you're going to find it very interesting and insightful. And I'm sure that you're probably going to end up wanting to knit more and crochet more than you ever have done before because the need is so great and she really uh, draws attention to that. I did the interview with her at the end of May and um, it was pretty chilly at the time. But um, in the week leading up to this last weekend uh, in early June, it began snowing um, in the Drakensberg. The Drakensberg is visible from Howick. You can see the mountains with their snow caps on um, literally from 
from the road and certainly from the settlement where the people are living and that icy cold wind from the snow-capped mountains will have been um, felt by everybody living there and so um, what uh, I have to report is that she has done two distributions one that she talks about in the interview and a subsequent one um, which was the one that she talks about as a future event as giving to the 350 children in the feeding scheme that then took place uh, this last weekend and with that icy weather that I've just described um, obviously those blankets came in extremely useful. Uh, the other thing that she talks about is the fact that um, an, an article got published about their first little distribution of knitter square blankets in the local newspaper and um, it has a there she talks about the photograph on the on the front of the newspaper, which she was very excited about. Um, this is a long interview, so I'm going to uh, not come back at the end of it to finish off. I'll just let the interview wrap up the, the episode. I think you're going to find this an interesting episode. Look out for the photos, as I said, if you haven't already seen them. And I will be back with you in two weeks time for another episode. So happy knitting, everybody. Hi Georgie, it's lovely to have you here and um, I'm so glad to introduce you to our members because you've been instrumental in a very lovely uh, distribution that we did recently for Knitter Square. So would you like to just tell us about where you are in South Africa and about the work you do? Hi Leanne, thank you so much for having me and of course for allowing us to be part of your beautiful initiative Knitter Square. So we are based in Hawick in KwaZulu-Natal near Midmar Dam. And Angel's Care Centre started for children that come from informal settlements that surround Howick itself. And originally it was just to feed these children in the area because they saw that there was this great need um, when people were driving around Howick town itself. There were just a whole lot of kids, especially over the weekends, that we're walking around and we're really just in need of nutrition. Mm. And that's when my mom became involved because it was quite um, an older board and they were trying to put a succession plan in place. And they reached out to my mom because she was already chairman of Tembelitle School, which is another MPO in the area. Mm-hmm. And so my mom took over as the chair lady of Angels Care. And from there, we've just grown and expanded to, to try and reach as many kids as possible. And so we, we now, on top of the nutritional program, have a preschool, which services grade double R and triple R children. Um, so they come to us when they're three years old and they stay with us until they're five. And then they move on to our sister school, Tembelitle, where they're with us until grade seven. We then also have a bridging class, which is children that we find in the informal settlement itself um, who have never had any formal education. And these kids are between the ages of about seven and 12. And then we have a, a specialist teacher who tries to catch them up in terms of their education, hopefully to, to then feed them into a, a mainstream school, which would be Tembelitle in the right grade for their age. Mm-hmm. And recently, we've also added on um, a disabled class, and we have about five children at the moment. 
Um, and this is really just to give these children a safe space and we work with an occupational therapist and they have their own teacher and then through the year we try and um, link them up to the right school for their disabilities and then try and fund that for those children. Mm, fantastic. It's, it's worked out, it seems to be working out really well and it also brings awareness to to our how a community and also into the communities about different types of disabilities and we just you know we want to extend a hand because a lot of the time these children are are left at home because the parents are not sure how to deal with them Mm. um yeah and then that that kind of disabled assistance has also branched off from our rape and abuse crisis center which was something that my mom who is uh, dr carolyn hancock was very passionate about because she's got a phd in genetics and she's been very involved with the change and legislation around um, collecting DNA evidence, especially in sexual assault cases with yes. children. And yeah, that's she then obviously through that saw that there was this huge need um, for a crisis center where a child or a woman or any victim could come to. And it's just one place that you go to. So the police come to the center to take a statement. We've got a full time nurse and a full time social worker and now an occupational therapist once a week. And the whole point of it is that, you know, the, the, the client comes and feels comfortable and we, we try and make it as nice of a process as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, if needs be, we help them open a case and then we with them throughout that whole process, just trying to help as much as we can. And unfortunately, most of the children that come to us for assistance are under the age of 12, which oh. is one of the very harsh realities of of South Africa. We have the highest rate of sexual assault in the world um, currently in our country. And yeah, so linked to our crisis centre as well is um, a short stay crisis facility, um, which is called the White Door Centre. And this was put into place. So if any children or women need to come to the center they will need to be removed from the situation immediately um, they then can stay with us for up to four nights while we work with the department of social development to then place them in a safe house or whatever the, the situation um, needs georgie yeah. just yeah <laughs> i'm gonna butt in there because yeah. um what you're describing is an amazing work and um I know, I know your mom well. I grew up with her, so um, I've I've known quite a bit of what what you've done there and how. It, but I didn't realize it was quite so extensive, and it's it's really exciting to hear, um, particularly when the need is so great that there there are places like like yours, like Angel Care, that provide such a um, a, a practical and um, compassionate um, place for people to come to especially in that rape crisis thing. I mean, that's, that's astounding. Um, I would like to just say, you know, like, so as I mentioned, I, I know your mom grew up with her, um, but I would like to just find out from you um, what, what sort of drew you to this kind of work um, and what role are you playing in it? So obviously a big part of what drew me to Angels Care was the fact that my mom uh, was so heavily involved with, with both of the organizations. And so um, just through her, her role, I just began, I started participating in, for example, on, on a Saturday we feed 350 children 
And so on my Saturdays when I was back from school or from university, I'd always try and join those Saturday feeding schemes. Um, and then whenever I was on holiday, just to try and get involved as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, my husband and I moved back to the area and a position became available um, to run the sponsorship program at both Angels Care and Tembelite, as well as all the social media and marketing. And I jumped at the opportunity. So I've always worked in the MPO um, sector. I originally started um, in the anti-poaching, well, I worked for an MPO called Project Rhino. Mm-hmm. And strangely, it's very similar work in terms of, you know, approaching funders and donors and writing reports and, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought I would have the skills to also apply to Angels Care. And of course, I've always had a passion to, to help little children as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just was also the right timing moving back to the area and and the position becoming available. Fantastic. Now, I met up with you about a month ago when my husband and I drove down to Howick and dropped off about 60 blankets and beanies and things from Nitta Square. So can you tell our members um, what you did? I mean, because obviously you had a little funnel, a little sort of way of distributing um, that really excited me when I heard about it. So can you tell us what you did? So we, well, luckily we got in contact through your sister, um, who's also been part of our family for a while. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, just every winter we, we try and collect about 350 blankets at least to distribute to, especially the children who come to us for the nutritional feeding on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just began our winter warmth drive this year and we just had this amazing connection to Nita Square and yeah, it was so lovely to meet you and your husband and to collect the blankets, which are so colorful and so beautiful. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so we, we took those blankets and we went into Shia Bazali informal settlement itself um, because a lot of the, the children who are there during the week are obviously the ones that are not at school yet. So they're either quite little or slightly neglected and they just really needed the extra warmth. Yes. Um, and so we just went out, uh, just myself and two of my colleagues, and found as many kids as we could on the day and just wrapped them up in their blankets and beanies, and they all got their own little teddy bear. Um, <laughs> it was a very, very special special time um, with those kids. And then, yeah, we're still collecting as many blankets as we can to, to then distribute to the rest of the children um, on one of the Saturday feed. Yes. Yes. So I believe you've, you've, you've got a big um, campaign still coming up ahead. Yes, we, we've probably, um, we've, we've got more than half of the blankets needed. Um, so I'm hoping in the next week or two, we'll be able to collect the rest and, and hand them out as soon as possible because the Midlands is already very cold. Um, and, and if possible, we'd like to, to do two handouts in one winter. Yes. So, Georgie, can you describe the Midlands cold for us, just so our, our listeners can get an idea of what it's like? <laughs> yeah, the Midlands cold. Um, it's, it's freezing already <laughs> at the moment. Um, probably at about 7 o'clock in the mornings, we already have had about 2 degrees. Um, and so there's, there's lots of frost in our winter. And where the children come from, they live in, in what we explain as like an informal settlement so most of their houses are made up of um of like wood and 
does tin sheeting and so there's a lot of gaps in their houses mm. it's freezing there's no real floor they they just have obviously the ground as their floor um, and a lot of our children actually sleep on the cold floor and that's where the blankets are so important because mm. then at least they can put also something else on the floor and still also have something to cuddle underneath and um, because most of the houses will have one single bed where the parents are sleeping um, and so if I'm complaining about the cold in my house mm. I, I just know that that their homes are a lot colder um, and and that's also why we like to try and get more than one blanket to each child just mm. because we know know their housing situation yeah can you describe for us the actual layout of the the area where people live is it um, are there proper roads is there are they serviced is there electricity and things she is the informal settlement that we we work with mostly um there's two entrance points into the settlement um they're not really you can't really describe them as a road i mean we can get our car in there if we need to um but there are no roads to any of the houses it's just um informal settlement so it's just shack after shack after shack and they're almost linked to each other um, so there's a whole lot of people in quite a small area. We we estimated to be about 10,000 people um, in Shears itself. They have no running water and they have no electricity. No services are provided. Um, and, you know, they even say to us that the police and um, the firefighters are actually too scared to go into the settlement when, they, when they're needing assistance. Um, the only way that they get water is every now and again... Um, they have water drop-offs. They have a couple of JoJo tanks that are scattered around the area. Um, so they have to line up and, and fill up their buckets to take home. That's pretty shocking. Wow. Yeah. The, the settlement itself, you said there are two entrances. So is the entire area fenced off? It's not fenced off. It's, it's actually placed directly behind the Howick Falls. And... Um, and so the one entry point is is close to where the Dunlop um, factory is, and that is actually the reason why the settlement became where well, it started where it is because all of the original people who moved into the area were actually working in that factory, okay. um, and it grew quite quickly and just obviously drew more and more people in looking for work, and then. Um, the factory actually downscaled quite a lot and and so there's actually just no job opportunities but then the informal settlement was already created and it it has stayed um, and the second entrance is kind of just off one of the taxi ranks but it's on just on the other side of um of the dunlop factory so it's just on either side of the factory great okay well thank you you've explained it very very clearly for us um, then I'm just wondering, are people still drawn to the settlement? Why do they come? We, we're not 100% sure why the settlement is, is still growing. Our, I think the main reason is people have obviously settled in the area and then families have grown and they've just stayed in this poverty cycle of South Africa and, and so it just continues to grow. Um, there's also a lot of um, families that come from Lesotho seeking um, any employment in the area and they they come in and obviously move into that area looking for jobs it's obviously one of the cheaper places to live and they half of the time don't have the necessary paperwork and and so they just kind of get stuck in in the cycle of poverty and and so it continues to grow 
And I think that population of, of families coming from Lesotho just continues to grow because Lesotho is poorer than South Africa. Mm. And so they, they come seeking a better life. Can you describe to us the town itself that, um, you know, Howick and, and what kind of opportunities might be available there? So Howick, I think, originally existed to, to service the, the Midlands area, which is a lot of farming, um, but it has grown quite substantially. And at the moment, I think the biggest draw card for most people coming into the area is we've got a lot of old age homes, um, all the Ambers, the Amber Valley and Amber Glen and Amber Ridge. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pushed the, the population of Howick up quite a lot. Um, and obviously with the movement of more people into the area and more gated communities that are going up, how it's also grown so the shopping centers have increased we've got a lot more little restaurants and and so i, I think in terms of uh, informal job opportunities it would be in the restaurants or, or in the shops um there's quite a lot of our parents that work in pick and pay for example mm-hmm. um we don't have huge factories in the area and there are a couple on the outskirts near maryvale so i'm assuming that also draws people into the area Right, so there, there certainly aren't a lot of big opportunities for for. for no, work. Yeah. I don't think so, and I think also after COVID, it's it's even worse. Um, but yeah, there are some factories on the outskirts of Howick, which I'm sure do draw people into the area, and and then a lot of the families maybe have one or two days of domestic work in homes. Um, we're trying to collect a little bit more data in terms of of the peace jobs that the families did have pre-COVID and um, but obviously a lot of these families have lost those you know the little bit of income that they did have before COVID hit. Mm. So let's come to COVID um, what effect have you seen in that informal settlement? We actually discussed this the other day um, obviously for us the settlement has always been an area that's been very poor that hasn't had services and so in that sense it it wasn't much worse um, but obviously with the hard lockdown, which was like the initial three months um, of when COVID first hit, none of the children or pretty much any of the families were allowed to leave the settlement itself. And so they couldn't come to us for assistance. And that led to us actually driving in 350 food parcels every single day into the settlement and oh, handing goodness. it out to the children. Mm-hmm. And then we would just assess the kids in the area and... Um, use our taxi service to bring in about 30 to 35 kids to our crisis centre just to have a general checkup, treat any wounds, if there are any kids that were sick, um, to deal with that and to make sure that they were they were all doing okay. Um, and that was just our way of, of trying to still provide our services at a time that it was very difficult to do mm-hmm. much. Um, and I think that also just opened our eyes to, to the extent of, of the poverty in that area. And um, yeah, like I said, a lot of the families who would have had one person in their household that was earning income may now have absolutely no income coming into that house. And we, we're not sure when that will ever get better. Um, and so even now today, we still have pretty much probably more families asking us for our food parcels than we did during covid um, so it's it, it's still very, very difficult for them. And I think until the economy does improve a bit and those peace jobs come back in, we'll mm-hmm. be feeding a lot more people than we usually were. Yeah. 
Sure. And Georgie, what about the actual pandemic, the infection rates and everything? Have you seen a lot of deaths in the area? Um, no, we haven't actually. We we were very pleasantly surprised. We thought that, you know, obviously if it got into an area like Shears where people live on top of each other and there's quite a few people with comorbidities that it would be horrifying. Um and we just, it, we never saw it. it. It didn't seem to really affect um, those communities. We we have heard of a couple of deaths. Um, we're not 100% sure if they were COVID-related or not, especially of our children who are in our school program because um, we obviously then know their families a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so there has been an increase in, in parents' that, you know, if they've lost their parents or their granny, but we're not 100% sure if it was COVID itself. So I, I can't say mm. it was definitely linked, um, but yes, there were there were more deaths. Um, but I think we were lucky in terms of how it could have been worse. That's remarkable, actually. It's yeah. kind of, yeah, I, I would have expected um, the infection rate to be quite high, as you say, people living close. What about vaccinations? Have has has a program started in the area yet? Yes, they started vaccinating people last week at Mgaini Hospital, which is literally just up the road from Angels Care. So most of our staff have been vaccinated now, and um, because we sort of considered it as frontline workers, we obviously dealing with children and and sick people and we do um, home-based care and door-to-door visits and so um, we applied and so most of our staff have been vaccinated Um, and like I said a lot of the Howick population is older people who've come to the area to retire Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of them also received received vaccinations I'm sure there's still a long way to go but it was a start yeah yeah I'm going to take you back to your visits to um, the children with your with the, with all the blankets. Can you give us some description of of how the children received the blankets and what they said, and you know any nice stories that you can share with us? So um, I was actually just sharing with you before our our chat that we are actually in the witness this morning, and um, one of the pictures that well the picture that was shared in the witnesses of one of my very very favorite children and he's um he's still two i think he's turning three this year so hopefully he'll start at our preschool um in well in 2022 and he comes to our center every single day for his peanut butter and jam sandwich (laughs) and so when he saw the angels care car driving into the informal settlement he was the first little kid waiting at our car so excited to all of us with the biggest smile on his face and mm-hmm. um, called all of his friends and they all came running down and actually so it made our job very easy we didn't, yes. we didn't look very hard for the children <laughs> and and yeah so we he actually has a very young um mum and so that's actually how we got introduced to him he we have a young mums group and um, that's part of our crisis center So our nurse spends a lot of time with these young mums just educating them on everything. We try and make sure all vaccinations are up to date and we help them with clothing and just general knowledge around childcare and Mm -hmm. development. And so that's how he actually started in our program. Um, So his mom is really young. She's still at school. And so a lot of the time he is either at Angel's Care getting a food parcel or playing around in in formal settlement. So he's... Mm-hmm. One of our really lovely cases, especially if he starts at school, well, he will start at school with us next year and, and then we'll be in our schooling system for 10 years. Wonderful. Um, 
Yeah, so we I picked my favorite color blanket that he gave me, and he got it. He got the beanie on his head, the blanket around, <laughs> and he's cuddling his teddy bear. It is one of the most precious moments and pictures. I'm always so glad that we, we captured oh, it. Oh, that's lovely, Georgie. <laughs> yeah, so all of his friends got blankets that day, and it was, yeah, it was very special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the mums, were they excited that the children could get a blanket? Yeah, so we, we saw a couple of, of moms and they always come down and really thank us for helping the kids. And there's never an issue when we go into the informal settlement. I mean, obviously, it's it can become a, a space that isn't safe. Um, but so far, we've been really respected and well looked after when we go there because I think it's just the the adults really appreciate the fact that we are there to assist mm. the children so there's never a where's my blanket um it's just just gratefulness that that the kids have been helped yes absolutely yeah yeah do you find that um the children benefit from having a toy to cuddle for themselves definitely it's my favorite thing in the world to give i mean we we have all the practical things to give, like gumboots and clothes and blankets, but our favorite thing to hand out is a teddy bear. Um, mm. These kids just cling on to their teddies, and you can see it just it brings them so much joy, and it's so nice sometimes not giving them what they need um, and actually just giving them a little treat. Yes. So we love giving our teddies, and obviously with our crisis center, that is something that we hand out to, to any of our clients. Um, it's just, yeah, it's theirs and mm-hmm. it's only theirs. And it's, yeah, it's very special to hand out to you. Well, Georgie, we're so grateful to you for helping us with the distribution because um, with COVID, we found it difficult to actually get out there to the, to the children. Um, yes. And working through an organization like you have there and everything's kind of, you've feet on the ground and you're working closely with the children. You know who's who and who needs what. So it really does help us enormously. And I think for our members, it also helps to know that the, the work that they're doing and the gift, gifts that they're giving are actually really reaching um, into the, the, the places where the children are very needy. So, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, to your mom as well for the amazing work that you're doing. Um, is there anything else you want to sort of end off with? Just a really, really big thank you to everyone that's involved at Knitter Square. It's it's an incredible NPO that's helping so many of us reach the right children. And it's it's actually so lovely to, to link up with other NPOs. I think it's so important that we all work together rather than individually and try and reach as many kids as possible. So we are hugely grateful um, that you decided to partner with us. And I hope that we can continue working with you. and. Yes. and much as we can absolutely well Georgie thank you I really appreciate everything you've shared with us because I think you've given us a lot of insights into the way the community operates you know the informal settlements are not something that's familiar to our overseas members at all and you've described them very clearly for us so thank you for that and thanks just for your time We, we wish you all the best with your work Thank you. Thanks, Leanne. You can find show notes at www.knit-a-square.com slash kas-podcast. Please tell your friends about this podcast if you've enjoyed it, and you can share links on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever your knitting friends congregate. Together, we are bringing hope to South Africa's vulnerable children, one square at a time.